Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment center in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Carter Umhow, a therapist, artist, and writer. Today I'm sitting down with Opal co-founder and executive director, Lexi Giblin, and we are going to be talking about the kind of psychology around interiors and design in general. This is something that both of us separately actually have some like passion about, but we're going to be talking about what this has meant in sort of the creation of Opal and how we think about the way a space and the way an aesthetic can actually help and support someone's well-being. Uh-huh. So welcome, Lexi. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to talk about this topic. Me too. It's been a big part of my last eight years at Apple yeah. is thinking <laughs> about the space and you know how to how to create a frame for healing in the, in the space, a place that people can feel comfortable for 50 hours a week for wow. treatment. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. And so, was that something that was part of your role or your list of tasks from the onset of yes. Opal uh, very on your much plate? So. Very much so. <laughs> yeah, because it's a, just a, a natural interest of mine. And mm-hmm. at the beginning, of course, we didn't, you know, we didn't have any the funds to hire someone to do the work, and we wanted to do it. We were on a shoestring budget, so it was like, who has who has the time and interest in doing this? And I was, of course, like really interested in in diving into it because it's probably would would be one of my other careers if I didn't do what I what I do now Mm -hmm. which I wouldn't want to do anything other than what I'm doing right now because it's my (laughs) it's the best job in the whole world what I do Mm. every day so but you also get to kind of but I get to have some control over I get to do this within it cool before we dive into the specifics about the space and how we think about the space I wanted to name sort of some feedback that we've gotten over the years and maybe um, a source of confusion for a lot of clients and community members and staff even about sort of we've gotten feedback about the space, especially at the beginning. I remember us getting a lot of comments about how the space is so beautiful and how that then runs in conflict with eating disorder treatment. So there's been kind of this kind of head scratching about like, why would you care so much about beauty in a space when you're working against eating disorders and sort of the aesthetic ideal of, of thinness? Mm-hmm. And we also get feedback about like the clothes that people wear at Opal, you know, how staff dress is really beautiful. And just to say that's not a dress code. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's not a dress code. It's not at all. That people are wearing the clothes that, that they, they want to wear. Like they want to wear. And there's a wide variety of clothes um, being worn at Opal. You know, we've got people in, in sweats and we've got people, you know, wearing a dress that they love. Or, But we've just gotten that that feedback. Like, how can it be that you're so focused on these, on the appearance of things, mm-hmm. clothes, art, and interior design, yet, yet you're treating eating eating disorders. And I guess what I would say is that we, do, we are focused on thinking about beauty and aesthetic as lying in all sizes across all domains and maybe not limited to cultural standards. That beauty can be found all over the place. And it's not limited by sort of what the culture says is beautiful. And so I think that's wh- that's where we are in our way of thinking at Opal is that you can find beauty in 
all sizes. So kind of thinking about, you know, instead of health at every size, you could say beauty at every size, mm -hmm. you know, same, same kind of idea that the focus is on what someone might experience as beautiful, which could be anything, right. like literally anything, right? So the beauty of something that's been worn and the beauty of aging mm -hmm. and the beauty of size and fat, and so it's not that we're, we're we love aesthetic and or at least I do. <laughs> I, do I don't know. Yeah. About, I don't know. If I can say we, <laughs> but like just um, I love how the stimuli, kind of the visual stimuli around you, impacts how you feel within that space. I've often thought about that with restaurants, and there was actually a joke even amongst clients a long time ago at Opal where we would talk about going on a meal outing or something, and I was always like, well, depending on this mood and the size of our group, we could go here and we could do this, and and that's one of my favorite things to to think through with people, friends or otherwise, like – what kind of conversation do you want to have when you go out with so-and-so tonight? And is it a group? Is it a date? Is it an old friend? Is it a family member? And how can the space that you choose when you go out to that restaurant facilitate the sort of connection you want to have? Mm -hmm. And some people might not be influenced by that entirely. I'm really sensitive. Mm -hmm. And so something like lighting or something like the color or or how open a space is, is really actually going to impact the way that I feel. I know that to be true. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to feel maybe like I'm ready to go into a deeper conversation in like a cozier, more intimate, darker space than an open, aired, bright space that people are walking around and there's a, you know, more central hub. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just going to change the way you feel. Mm -hmm. Oh, completely. And kind of thinking about how Opal, we've thought about, you know, when you walk into the space, what is the emotion that it engenders? What does it inspire? You know, what is, what kinds of conversations would this particular space inspire? Would it allow people to heal? Mm -hmm. You know, is this a place that has dignity and beauty? I don't think people, most people would say you come to Opal and it's beautiful. It's certainly, it's rough around the edges. It's got, but it's got a personality. Mm -hmm. It's kind of its unique space that has it. It's has so much history, or at least the eight years of history. I go into a room and I'm like, oh my gosh, I all all that has happened in this space and on this couch and yes. um, in these walls, and it just you know, and I get emotional just even thinking about it because there's one our group room that's now called the Ruby. Oh, why is it called the Ruby? It's named after um, Kara's grandma. Yeah, she was kind of ahead of her time in terms of pushing gender and cultural norms. Cool. And was um, just really hardworking. And Kara named um, the room the Ruby. And our other room, or the Great Room, what is used to be the Great Room, is now called the Virginia, which is named after Julie's mom and grandma. Wow. Yeah, who were both very, um, like, had a strong caretaking kind of spirit. And had their own journeys with food and body as well. Um, and so the Virginia is named after them. And then we have another room, our new great room, or our new larger um, group room is named after my grandmother, the Evanel. Evanel. Yeah. She really is an embodiment of, like I say, just pure love. Mm -hmm. She's just the, she's always the like unending, pure form of love is sort of who who she was and you know nothing you would never get anything but 
you know, love and, and kindness and hugs from her. She's wow. so, so we've taken to name some of our spaces to show respect and honor the people who have had an impact on what happens in the space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It also the power of naming a space that you're inviting someone into that has maybe just walked in the door for the first time. I can imagine that that uh, two things, even if they didn't know the story of those names, would maybe come in and go, oh, okay, like this room, this room is a specific location and it has a name and it has a vibe to it and it has sort of this title. And it kind of adds personality right away rather than like, oh, we're going to be in the hall, like down the hall to Mm -hmm. the left, there's going to be a door and then you go in and like there's, that's so much more neutral. And so there's something more welcoming, I think, about this sort of specific locatedness of a a room with a name. And then to add on top of that, those names being family names and clearly being persons, like a person's name, I can imagine that that adds like a sense of hominess Mm -hmm. and community and knowing that you're like sitting in a space named after a person Mm -hmm. rather than a person that matters too, you know, rather than just, um, the East wing room. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Like the group group room versus, um, the Ruby Mm -hmm. is like, yeah, I I see that there's a difference and it brings about a feeling and maybe it impacts how you feel when you're in that space. Right. So I want to go back to what you were saying about people kind of scratching their heads at the idea of this sort of focus. Mm -hmm. What would the argument be around it being maybe not the right thing to be focused on especially with eating disorder treatment, is there an alternative way of thinking around what a space should look like for this to be effective? I assume that the source of that thinking is that when you're treating eating disorders, the focus is to not think about how one looks or things look or anything, you know, like it's trying to make appearances irrelevant. Mm. I think people assume that this is this is something you're trying to kind of blot out of your your being almost like just don't think about your body don't at think all. about how you physically appear to others and that maybe is taken further with space and of course like what we're saying is no beauty is such a incredible part of life right mm-hmm. art and beauty and and um, spaces and. Yeah. Um, the meaning of spaces, but the, the the work is to not allow the thin ideal to be the dominant lens of seeing beauty. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I I wish that I had brought like a bit of a history lesson on the word beauty, mm-hmm. capital B, because it's something that I I studied some in college, even in English literature and reading about romanticism and sort of like beauty as religion, this idea that actually like some pursuit of the aesthetic is a movement toward kind of like creationism and and God in some way. Mm -hmm. And I think that that could mean a lot of different things. And particularly in the fact, like you said earlier, like Opal doesn't necessarily have every single corner pristine Probably does right now since everything's not a lot of things are new yeah, with yeah. the remodel, but like it it had wear to it. It has history and it has character and all these things and and that can bring such a powerful element of rootedness. And beauty, like you said, can mean so many different things. But kind of wiping the slate clean and having a more clinical space 
could feel neutral in some way, but I I believe that eating disorder treatment is also so much about kind of bringing people back into their life force and living more in line with who they are. And that doesn't have to be like a a neutral, disembodied version of being embodied in I don't know. There's no such thing as really a disembodied version of being embodied. But like, <laughs> I think what I'm trying to say is that by totally removing the focus on anything aesthetic at all, you can actually lose a lot of personality and self-expression mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, the idea of having a more sterile space that's sort of just a repeat of what you would see in a hospital just didn't right. feel like it lined up with what the kind of space that we would want to create. So mm-hmm. just this creating more of this sort of a home away from home for a lot of people for yes. for a short amount of time and like creating that space and creating a space that sort of um, will support the work that we're doing and the goals that we have for clients. So like I think about the communal spaces and how you know, even the waiting room, you know. It, Can you walk us through the waiting yeah. room for those that haven't been in there? Yeah. I mean, the waiting room is probably, it. it's, you know, I guess I would just want the listeners who haven't been to Opal before to know it's not like this fancy, I don't know. It, Some people might think that's I guess a little it could fancy. Be, yeah, yeah. It could be fancy. But it's yeah. also cozy. It's cozy. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. The waiting room, you come in and there's um, uh, couches and chairs and you know, the, the communal aspect of the waiting room has become, you, know, you could, I'll walk by and there'll be people, clients hanging out in the in the waiting room. And in the, what's now the Virginia, we see clients hanging out in these spaces that just kind of invite connection, invite socializing. And that's part of the work that we're doing at Opal is kind of reconnecting with each other, reconnecting with life. Because a lot of times with eating disorders, of course, you you disconnect. And so the space itself is encouraging that work. It's cool to get kind of a visual around what you've actually done. I'd love to know more about how you've designed like those two spaces to accommodate those things. Like you mentioned the couches in the waiting room and those are like one of the main features. It's not like you've got a bunch of hard chairs that are just sitting there waiting for people to just sit and be rigid and wait, you know. Mm-hmm. Are there things, um, other things in kind of the eating area, for instance, or the kitchen that are there for these sort of particular healing goals that you have for the clients? Well, I guess I, I would say yes, yes. Yeah. Everything in that space we've thought about, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> <laughs> and we probably had a lot of conversations about what it means, you know, and I think that's that's kind of the driving question is what is the meaning of this space and mm-hmm. how will people heal in it? What does that look like? And so one of the ways that we think about the space is making it, it relevant to our clientele, which who are who are tend to be younger. We want to stay relevant in our space and like creating a space that feels like th- who they are but also who we are, mm-hmm. right? And just sort of like a person can be who they are in this space. There's room to be whoever that might be. And the space isn't limiting you in some way. It's not communicating some limit. Yes. Right? Th- that makes more sense when you said it's not fancy earlier. Okay. The, yeah. Like when I was like, well, kind of, I'm like, actually, no, I don't agree. It's not fancy, but it has nice things in it. Yes. But it's not fancy in this sort of like stuffy way, like you're saying, that would be limiting to like, this is this is where you sit and this is what you do over here and don't touch that. And uh-huh. it doesn't, it's not austere. It's right. not traditional. Mm-hmm. No. And so I guess to me, like 
spaces that are traditional, I appreciate. And when I'm in those spaces, I could feel maybe more limited in my expression. Mm-hmm. When you get off the elevators at Opal now that we've remodeled, there is a giant logo and our logo is, you know, there's a lot of meaning to our logo and the aesthetic of our logo um, is, you know, it's a wider imperfect circle. Mm. How that relates to eating disorders, you can imagine, right? Like this celebrating imperfection and and size. If mm-hmm. size is there, celebrating it, you know. And that space when you walk out, we now have this interactive kind of live, living, breathing art display where people who come along can answer these fill in the blank to a sentence that starts with something like, from your perspective, social justice means, being an athlete means, food and body wisdom means, and you answer that question and then you put it on the ledges in the space. And so then over time, there's this kind of movement happening, you know, maybe what's seen on the cards is reflective of that moment in history or that time. So we'll probably we'll have that for many years to come and see how it grows and builds. Wow, I gotta get to Opal. You it's gotta been get too to Opal. long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And our colors are are uh, green and gray, and we stayed away from reds because the reds are communicate more of a caution. Oh, um, and so we we stayed away from that for that reason. Do green and gray have any particular? like psychological meaning to them? I mean, I think we just felt like, and green just feels so opal now, you know? Yeah, it, just, it does. And it feels sort of like it's fresh and earthy. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm just thinking of like plants. Yep, and living and breathing. Living and breathing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's sort of how. There's something very like zen about it in some ways, but so much more vivacious than that. It's yeah. not like this sort of like calm, serene. Yeah. It can blend in while also really like brightening and bringing vitality in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, we kind of went overboard on the greens at the beginning. <laughs> really? Because it was like, buy it in green. Everything was green. <laughs> and now we're kind of toning that down and bringing in just more greens and blues and kind of that family. Mm-hmm. The color story is, yeah, green and blues, and it's more of a mid-century kind of modern earthy aesthetic, I would mm-hmm. say. Someone said bohemian. Is There's a little bit of that in there. Mm-hmm. So lots of um, like wood stumps and plants and lots of white. Mm-hmm. White. I love white. Yeah, it's bright. Right. And if anyone hasn't been up there, yeah. it's on the top floor of a building in the university district and it overlooks large parts of Seattle. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's the, the, a ton of windows. Mm-hmm. And so like the white walls or the white, whatever is like brightens the space so much because there's so much light in there, yeah. which is incredible for Seattle, which basically has no light at all for uh-huh. many, many months. It's all it opal. It feels like a tree house. Yeah. And in, in some rooms in particular, kind of like where you're perched out mm-hmm. looking around, you know. Yeah. So. can see every single yeah. weather change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what's coming. Yep. Sunset, <laughs> snow, sleet, yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> what other kinds of considerations have you all taken beyond kind of the, the mood and the tone of the space? We've done a lot of work to try to make the space accessible and comfortable for all body sizes. And this has been more difficult than kind of maybe it sounds. We have 
lots of different options, I guess, in a space. We don't have just one chair option. We have several options in a particular space, and then and the chairs can comfortably sit a wide variety of size people, though some of our chairs are not, we are less than happy with on that domain, and we're kind of working to kind of change some of our furnishings for that reason. Yeah, so that's been a big consideration, even in how we laid out the um, kitchen is sort of, will all bodies feel comfortable in this space? Can they move well as they work to heal and interact with food? Mm, That's so beautiful. It feels like a really important thing that I can imagine a lot of spaces overlooking, unfortunately, Mm. as people are designing a space that, like, not every chair is going to be comfortable for every body type. Mm-hmm. Definitely not. Definitely not. And Definitely you know, not. It's been hard even with that in mind to find chairs that make most people feel comfortable. But we're always kind of doggedly trying to find the perfect chair. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, mm. Yeah. And then I would say, you know, the, the other consideration is in the dining room, the Virginia is we really wanted that space to feel like a place where you feel like you're able to do difficult work. That's where all the eating happens, and that's where there, a lot of anxiety is held, and we wanted the space to feel comfortable, not like you were in a sterile hospital kind of setting, but had some life to it, but also some, I wouldn't call it beauty. What would we call it? Yeah, like there's you could you can feel when you walk in that there's a story. There's there's stories to the room. There's humanity. Mm-hmm. That's the word maybe I'm looking for. That this is this is a place where humans connect and can be who they are mm-hmm. and take on difficult challenges of life. And in in this case, eating foods that may be quite anxiety provoking. Were there different um, design choices that you guys made in that room, or even in the kitchen area that? were meant to be specifically supportive to some of those fears or anxieties or particular like eating disorder considerations. So the tables that we have in the Virginia are these recycled wood tables and they have all of their there's lots of cracks and crevices where all kinds of things can <laughs> live. And we've decided, we've debated over the years about should we have the cracks and crevice table in an eating disorder treatment facility that just feels like you can never quite get it completely perfect perfectly clean. clean. And we've held on. And I think we're actually going to order more of those oh, t- cool. tables for other spaces because I think we we like that it, the uh, kind of the imperfection of, of those mm-hmm. tables and how it just brings an automatically more homey kind of feel it to does. the space. It also, in my experience as a milieu therapist too, I know that it also serves as some exposure therapy <laughs> immediately for clients that are anxious about like perfection, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the, the table itself not being perfect or there being a little crumb in a crevice or something like that that could be really activating for someone, but isn't like a hygienic issue, you know, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, right. And each of the tables is different and where you sit on the table, the mm-hmm. wood's different. And we just, we, we like that about it and that that's an intentional decision. Mm-hmm. So what about any considerations for like food specifically, not just the table and where you're eating, but the food itself? Yeah. So we have 
what is become quite famous among <laughs> our clients and um, staff is the Candy Island, mm. which is uh, in our on our kitchen island and was in our kitchen island on our previous kitchen as well, where there's a whole assortment of different candies available for anyone who wants to have some. That is intentional and is based in our um, health at every size, intuitive eating kind of roots and is a real symbol, I think, of our approach to nutrition and life as well. Like just the the enjoyment of food and candy being part of life. Mm-hmm. And the constant access of, of something that is really fun and can be and is forbidden and exactly other, yeah can and be, when you're around it all the time all day it doesn't have the same balance yep another like wonderful place of exposure therapy that's like part of the design mm-hmm. of it getting to be something like no we're celebrating this and it's accessible and it's wonderful and here you go you can have it whenever mm-hmm. which could elicit a lot of fear a lot of anxiety initially but hopefully over the course of treatment at opal that would become a really different story mm-hmm. and I love the idea and the name Candy Island. <laughs> I don't know. It reminds me of like, you know. I know. What's the game? Candy. Candyland. Candyland. It's like yeah. Candyland or like Dylan's Candy Bar in New York City where you're, you know, walking into the fun like selection of all the different goods. And uh, it's just such sounds a like, like playful you're going on space. Vacation. Yeah. Going to Candy Island. <laughs> um, they wanted it to be not on an island for a while. Oh. And I was like, no, we have to have it on an island. <laughs> we have to find an island for it. <laughs> That's good to know. So that whole the whole island was there in mind to support yeah, the candy. We had we had to find an island for that candy. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So if you haven't been to Opal or you're not headed to Opal soon for any particular reason, if you want to know more about what this space actually looks like after we've been describing it for so long, we actually have a really wonderful video of the space. And it's just a minute long, so we're going to link that in the description for you to find and so you can get a little bit of a taste of what it, it actually feels like in there. Thank you so much for joining us. If you haven't already subscribed to The Appetite, we'd love if you do so. And if you love The Appetite, make sure you also leave us a review. That can be a really wonderful way for others that are interested in non-diet approaches to life and um, eating disorder recovery um, to find our resources and to find this more like-minded space for them to tune into as well. So leave us a review. And if you want to be in touch in any way, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Opal Food and Body. And if you want to learn more about our programming, make sure that you're checking out opalfoodandbody.com where you can learn more about our PHP, IOP, outpatient services, and our athlete clinic as well. And you can also learn about our community events there too. Thank you so much to Daniel Gunther at Jackstraw Cultural Center for sound engineering, to Aaron Davidson for the Appetite's original music, and to Hans Anderson for all of his incredible editing. Thank you and join us next time. Bye.